Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's the Keith Walsh podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, learn some things you didn't know Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's the Keith Walsh Podcast Give you energy like buck fast And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle It's the Keith Walsh Podcast yeah. I don't know why I'm singing that song I think it is Coldplay What's it called? Christmas Lights? That's the song, the Christmas song of choice in our house. And that's it. It started already. The Christmas songs have started already. Some of the decorations have gone up. And I think in fairness, you know, I don't know why I'm speaking like this. In fairness, Friday night is the toy show night. We don't know what kind of toy show it's going to be, but I'm sure they'll pull it out of the bag. Um, So the tree goes up. Has to be up in time for the toy show, so... It's time, folks. It's Christmas time. And traditionally, if you work in radio, you put on, you start playing the Christmas songs next. It'll be the 1st of December, so that's next week. So there you go. So you can't give out to me. Also, if you're listening to this next year sometime and it's not Christmas, you're like going, what the hell is this guy talking about? Anywho, how are you? It is the Keith Walsh podcast. My name? It's Keith Walsh. No shit. Seriously. Honest to God. And uh, I'm here to introduce episode 29 of the podcast. If you are an original listener and you've been listening and this is 2020 and you're listening, do get in touch. Got a, a few emails. Um, good few people getting in touch wanting to claim their spot as a member of the OGs. So the OGs, the originals. You know, the original podcast listeners from 2020. That's not to say that we're going to shun any new listeners or you know we're gonna we're not gonna take a ginnem. It's just a thing that if you're listening right at the start, um, we're due to switch over to Acast this week, which I delayed because I had to put these two up and I didn't really do much work on it over the weekend. So my bad. Uh, so we're due to switch over to Acast, which means that we're just gonna be like number one. We're gonna have millions of listeners. It's gonna be huge. It's gonna be like. It's gonna be like I feel like I'm Donald Trump talking now. It's going to be so big. Anyway, uh, so just if you want to announce that you're an OG and you've been listening since 2020, and this is 2020, email me keithwalchpod at gmail.com, keithwalchpod at gmail.com. That's it, I'm going for it. I've got the confidence to drop the other email address because I feel like the keithwalchpod at gmail.com, it's working, it's okay. I'll give you my other address anyway, just in case. KeithWalsh.Walsh at gmail.com Yeah, cool. Don't want to take any chances. Um, What are we up to? What's going on? It's just an absolute 
torrential downpour just happened outside. And then it's just stopped raining, so that's the weather covered. Charlie's downstairs because the family are all still up. It's early enough, and it's early enough, and I'm doing this. It's uh, half past eight on Monday night. Uh, Anna and Finn, the two kids, are downstairs or wandering about upstairs somewhere. My wife is now on the landing. I can hear her. She's turning on lights, doing stuff. She's mooching, doing a bit of mooching, a bit of pre-bed mooching. You can't beat it. And uh, yeah, it is the 23rd of November, as you listen to this, as you might have guessed from the way I was speaking in my intro. Um, yeah, listen, I do hope you're enjoying the podcast, and thank you very much for being an OG, an original, for listening to the podcast right from the start, and thanks for all your kind comments and words, and I appreciate them. I really do. It keeps me going. <laughs> the only thing that keeps me going. Um, but let me introduce my guest for today's podcast. I just went to her website because wouldn't you rather just introduce yourself? So uh, tonight's guest, tonight Matthew, is Emma Dorn, comedian Emma Dorn. And this is her intro on her website, according to Emma. She says, how are you? Question mark, exclamation mark. Thanks for stopping by. My name is Emma Dorn. I'm a comedian. I live in Dublin with my partner Shane and our three children, Ella, 17, Joe, 7, and Tommy, 5. This might be a little bit. She might might need to update this. Em, if you're listening, you need to update your website. I think your daughter is 18, maybe 19. You need to update your website. I could be wrong. Oh, no. Shit. And I'm not going to edit this. So, sorry, Emma, if I'm wrong. Uh, we have two dogs, Twiggy and Stan, mother and son. We also have a cat, Coco, that stops by now and then. But Stan fancies her. So it's a whole thing now. Wow. Stan fancies the cat. I don't think I've ever come across that, the, the dog fancying the cat. I wonder how the cat responds to that. I presume, incredibly... Uh, I'm, I'm sure she just gets incredibly freaked out. Anyway, it's not about the dog or the cat. I've performed in some of the country's biggest, uh, best and biggest venues, like Three Arena, Vicker Street and the Olympic Theatre. I've been on telly, honestly, she says. Bridget Naiman, Saturday Night Red Darcy Show, other bits and bobs. My stand-up and sketches have been shared on radio, telly and online by various kind folk. Her daddy, Irish Examiner, FM 104, she lists. And the Irish Independent, one of the hottest young stars in Irish comedy. And uh, she gives her details there. She is on Instagram, she is on Facebook, she is on all of those things, TikToks. Twitter um, and her sketches are brilliant her comedy is brilliant and you should follow her that's my advice uh, she works at um, FM 104 and I think Q102 as well she's their creative copywriter um, which is a job that I kind of did anyway listen you'll, just, you'll find all that out in the chat um, that's it really I really enjoyed talking to Emma um, I had I, I had met her I'm sh- pretty sure she was on the breakfast show as a guest and she said she maintained she was only on on the phone um, and then we recently did a, the Rascal. she stars in the Rascals ad and I was like ah how's it going we should uh, we en- end up doing a little couple of little sketches together where she plays the agent and I play the uh, 
the me, uh, a version of myself. And I have to mention the podcast, which is called Up to 90. Emma presents the Up to 90 podcast with Julie J, who's a comedian, two comedians talking about stuff from the 90s, although not necessarily. I think it's kind of moved on a bit now, but it's very good. You should check it out. It's called Up to 90. And as I said, it's very good. It's Emma and Julie J. That's it. Without further ado, it is episode 29 of the Keith Walsh podcast. Take it away, please, Emma or Keith or whoever speaks next. Enjoy. Well, not that it's the same here, but it's like it's Friday evening and and people are going to bed. But, you know, it'll be a a slow process. Is this a bad time? Have I got you? No, like, you know yourself, like, when is a good time? (laughs) Just get your complaints out of the way early. I think. (laughs) I think we, if we, like, if we, if you can complain now about, you know, me booking you at a bad time. I, no, I that's not, but I'm saying no time. I, I didn't really give you much scope. Like, no time in this house is a good time. And we, we have said, dogs and, you know, all that. Plus, no, it's good. seven or eight Friday. Yeah. But sure, what is time anymore? Yeah, it doesn't mean, Friday doesn't mean anything. Time doesn't mean anything. Uh bedtime there's no such thing as bedtime in our house as far as no. i can see uh people just wander around at all hours <laughs> just doing whatever i don't even know what bedroom people sleep in anymore no um, i have no idea what's going on the days none of it means anything it's all the same um anyway is- listen <laughs> what yeah what are you gonna say no, I was just going to say like exactly that. This sounds real positive to kick it off. But I mean, I mean, in a positive way, I mean, in terms of like in touch with reality, you know what I mean? And accepting it. And that's fine. Yeah. Just go with the flow, whatever. whatever yeah. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where are you? Are you in your sitting room at the moment? I'm in my sitting room. Yes. At, at the front of the house and the rest of the family are in other parts of the house. Um, is, that, is that a good idea? Like, is that your good room? Yeah, yeah, like no one's coming in here. Okay. <laughs> I just want to know, do you have a good room? Oh, no, it's not a good, it's it's um, the neglected room, I suppose. Okay, okay. okay. There's a lot, like, in this room, there are stacks of, uh, just say, for example, there's National Geographic magazines. So my dad came down to my house uh, with a little trolley and he said would you be interested in, in these and you know the way when someone just catches you on the hop I was probably like going out of this and I was like yeah sure yeah and I'm just like I the only reason I've taken them now is because he doesn't want them but he doesn't have the heart to throw them out so all these national tra- like geographic magazines and then there's also like weights in here and you know it's just one of those rooms like a mishmash of stuff going on well, just put the- it in the front room but put also, it in the front room. So what is it about that generation? They like, just throw it out if you don't want it. Don't you don't? No, my parents. Oh, like this is an ongoing thing with my parents. I'd say we're going back nearly twenty years ago. I had this uh, this cat, this like cheap porcelain cat that was kind of about up to my knee. And I was like, I need to get rid of this. It's taking up too much space in my room. I I don't want it. And I put it in the bin. I think like three times and my dad kept fishing it out and I found out recently like about two months ago that he still had it and he brought it down to the house oh my mom brought it down to the house on my birthday in a gift bag 
And I opened it up and I was like, this fucking cash. And my family were like, what? It's, it's fine. It's not, it's not bad, but it was more what it symbolized. Do you know what I mean? Like never being able to throw out stuff. Whereas I love getting rid of stuff. But I can totally, I can totally get where they're coming from that like, you know, clothes, toys, everything was just so much more expensive and, you know, and then their childhoods and where they came from, where like their mothers were making clothes. So I totally get it. But I've just been used as my family's dumping ground. But it's the difference in the perspective of you saying, I can't, I need to get rid of this fucking cat. (laughs) <laughs> it's driving me mad and then your parents probably having conversations separately going ah, Emma loved that cat didn't she she loved that cat that was her favourite thing in the whole world and you're going I fucking hated that cat it's the, just different perspectives isn't it it is yeah you see for mm. me I need to get rid of the clutter to like clear my mind whereas if they got rid of stuff it would have the opposite effect they would feel guilt uh, around having gotten rid of something <laughs> They'd be, they'd be grieving for the cat. Yeah. So the cat, the cat is now in the garden. So I like this cat is like pink and purple and it has glitter on it and stuff. And so I said, I'll put it in the garden and I'll just let it gradually disintegrate with the, the rain and the wind. And it's still out in the garden, bold as brass. Like it's, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> I feel like the, <laughs> do you feel like the cat might be like a curse or something? I don't know. I mean, I was trying to tell somebody about it. They're like, are we still talking about the cat? I'm like, yeah, we're still talking about the cat. It's obviously po- it maybe cursed. It could be cursed. I don't know. I mean, it seems like nobody can get rid of the cat and you're destined to have that cat for the rest of your life. I would say embrace the cat. Bring the cat in, tidy the, clean the cat up, and put it in pride of place on top of the National Geographic magazines. <laughs> I suppose if I brought it in, there would be a better chance of one of my children knocking it over and breaking it or something. I suppose that's a possibility. I think you, you and the cat need to put your differences behind you. Bring it, welcome the cat into your heart, and I think I think things will, will go better. I think yeah. it's a, it's a sign, Emma. Well, I, what I'm trying to say is, are you in the market for some National Geographic magazine? I'll swap you a, a, a stack of Reader's Digest. <laughs> but you know what it is like the National... It, so we went, I think it was from an auntie. It was a voucher for Christmas. You know, one of these aunties that it's never actually proper presents. Like, I know this sounds terrible, but they get you a card and it's like you've donated to a well somewhere in Africa, which is great. But like, as a seven year old, you're like, uh, like, you could have just given me a selection box. Like, this is, you know, it's it's better. Like, well, no, a prize bond is better. But you know what I mean? It just means nothing. Yeah. So these National Geographics have been hanging around for a while. But the thing about the National Geographics is I'm... Oh, <laughs> really well I'm only interested in the ones that have like the kind of seedy stories I don't I have to be honest like the the stories about the snow leopards like they're nice but I'm not going to read them but I will read the ones that are a bit more gritty and there's not enough of them 
the ones where they kind of go into the favelas in Brazil or something like that? Or Yeah, that, yeah, that's know? right up my street. Yeah, that's what I want out of the National Geographic. Okay, or a bit of elephant culling or, or uh, poaching or that kind of stuff, is it? Well, not even poaching. No. Yeah, no, not, not really anything to do with the animals. Just, just not the um, animals, yeah. We... National, National Geographic, I don't know, for a lot of Irish men of my age would have been where we first saw um, naked people. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want that stuff. But there's not there's not a lot. There's not a lot. Like even as I look at them now, I'm looking at sea turtles. I'm looking at gorillas and I'm looking at leopards. You should I cut mean, you should cut out the, the articles you're interested in and then give the rest back to your dad and say, thanks very much. Yeah, <laughs> With the cash, it would be something to do, I suppose. Something to do, bit of crack. But, but look, I am, I am not that this conversation has given you any indication, but I am actually grand. <laughs> <laughs> so you're surviving. Listen, yeah. can you tell me then how yeah. what's lockdown been like for, like, for a comedian? For I mean, I, I know it's not you, gigs aren't your life, and that's not just you have other. Yeah, income um, because you're quite clever. Um, <laughs> Fingers in pies. Yeah, so, which you have to, you know. You have um, to, yeah. You're quite sensible. Um, but what's lockdown been like for you? Well, lockdown for me, so say on the Thursday when we got the news, like there was the announcement and I think it wasn't initially two weeks was kind of this is this is what we're doing for two weeks I was ecstatic ecstatic I was on a high I so I at the time say before all that I was working and I like I still am I'm working full-time in F104 and Q102 as creative scriptwriter, copywriter so my day was um, like a lot of people, but I'd drop the kids to school and then I would go to work on an electric scooter. So this, I got the electric scooter just to like, so that I could drop the kids to school and get out to Troy Arena. So it was all about like saving time. I basically, I thought I was clever enough that I could beat the commute. I could beat the system and I could get an electric scooter and wasn't I so clever. Where what is, I did, how, how far is your... Trip so on it's about, um, I suppose you're talking probably about seven kilometers. Okay, not too bad. Yeah, so you're taking notes. I'm writing it down. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I was going drop out to drop the kids off. Hang on a second. No, no, drop the kids off. <laughs> Electric scooter, seven kilometers. Okay, go on. So I dropped them and I'd head out to work. But the problem is, and as somebody rightly pointed out to me, we don't live in Madrid. We don't, Keith. This is the issue. And I'm naturally quite a cold person. So I used to go out on this scooter and I would be absolutely freezing. My hands wouldn't work for about 20 minutes. I tried all things. I was lobbing hot water bottles down my trousers. I won't get just a lot of stuff going on. And it's very hard to attach a hot water bottle to your person because it tends to start to drop down and it's kind of like you have a, like a scrub, just a scrotum or something. So anyway, it was very full. That was like, and it was in every day till half five, but then I'd say one night a week, I 
would record a podcast with my comedy wife, Judy J. Yeah, up to and 90 podcast. Up to 90, up yeah. To 90. So we'd go into studio to do that one evening a week. And then I would say on average, three nights out of the week, then I was gigging. So I was gigging in um, Dublin, but I was doing support at the time for Enya Martin. I was doing a lot of support for her, like in the comedy sense, not like supporting her mentally or whatever. <laughs> so Just a lot out. of the time that was a case of in my bag on the way to work, I had my breakfast, lunch and my dinner. And her manager would pick me up from work at half five and we'd head off to Limerick or Galway or whatever it was. And... So I, when lockdown first happened, I was buzzed. I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to get to work from home. I was like, this is the best day of my life. This is the best day of my life. Went home, happy out. And I was, I was still happy out. It was only after a while. So in terms only, like say, of the gig side of things, I did miss it after a while, but it was a bit like, um, an ex who had scorned me I was a bit like stand up I was like please I don't need that I'm so over it. and then I got little tasters back again of kind of gigs that were able to happen in a small capacity and I was like god yeah I do I do really miss it and I, I actually still do really miss it because I think about it like I was probably probably been gigging for the last I don't know like six seven years every week so you're like, oh, God, it actually is a huge part of my life. But I don't know why you don't want to admit it or why I didn't want to admit it, like that it was actually an important part of my life. But um, yeah, I suppose it's just because it's a slog. There's not much return on it. So you're just like, stand up. Like, you kind of act like someone's forcing you to. No, one's, no one cares. Like, no one's forcing you to. But um. Yes, and then I've actually just found it great to have, there's my dogs, I've actually found it great to have extra time. So I'm still like working at home, but it's just given me the space to be able to do some of the other like creative stuff that maybe I just wouldn't have like physically have had the time to do. That's a very long answer, isn't it? That's a good answer. When did you start in, with FM 104 and Q102 then? So I started with them, uh, I think about a year and a half ago. So it was, I had gone in, I had been going in there a bit to do uh, voices for the breakfast show for sketches and stuff and doing like a, a little bit of writing. Like I throw in a sketch to Jim and say, oh, what do you reckon to this? And he's like, oh yeah, let's do that. So that kind of thing, very relaxed. And then um I was doing like a little bit of stuff like that and there. And then I saw that the job came up and I was like, oh, that'd be perfect to have. Like, don't get me wrong. If I didn't need a full time job, I wouldn't have one. Yeah. But I was like, it'd be perfect to have a full time job, but in a creative space. And before that, I had I had been on maternity leave and different things like that. But before that, I had been trying to get like a creative part-time job for ages and I just found it so hard and in a couple of meetings or a couple of interviews it went to second interview and they defo done like a google search 
and they kind of I think they just didn't think that you wanted a job I think they just thought like oh she does stab you know like they'd see videos and whatever they're like oh okay this is kind of strange um so they never went much further so before that then I was working in a coffee shop up the Dublin mountains and <laughs> this sounds like a, was this a real job no this is a real job yeah so basically I just took that job because I couldn't find a job and in fairness now I was I was trying to get something part-time that was kind of a good location you know I was being very specific about what I wanted from a job you weren't going like, up to, get... you weren't going up the Dublin mountains mountains on your scooter were you no I was driving at I was driving at the time yeah I don't know I'd say the scooter might have made it, but I, did, I didn't have the scooter at the time. So I was going up to this job. It was a little coffee shop and I was like, grand, handy out. And they had me in as kitchen porter. And I was just like, right, I'm like, just don't be in my head. I'm going, what the fuck's going on? And like my mom and Shane are kind of saying to me, I mean, you don't, you don't need to do this. And I'm like, no, I need to do this for myself. So I did that for like about three months. And I was like, Emma, you're not too proud. Like, you know, you don't have a job. Don't be self. So I'd got this job. And um, any, I don't know what they thought was wrong with me that they never let me out on the floor. Like, and I'd done like lounge work before and stuff. And they only let me out the odd time on the floor when somebody had like a bowl or something. They were like, go on, we'll let Emma out on the floor. <laughs> I was on the floor, right? And this fella says to me, um, oh, you you do like sketches online and stuff, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, I've seen you doing videos with Jen Hat and stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. And he's like, oh, come on, we get a selfie. And I was like, oh, because I had been in the kitchen, like scrubbing pots and pans and everything. Like I looked like, you know, the way people say, oh, geez, I look awful. Like I really looked awful. Like I just had that glow of grease, like kitchen grease. And I really didn't want it. And I was like, oh, Emma, don't be too proud. And I was like, okay, you know, this is a nice thing. Someone wants to get a selfie with you. And the second he went snap, he goes, oh, can we just get more ketchup? I was like, fuck's sake. <laughs> Smack down to the ground. So uh, wow. then the job number four came up and I was like, yeah, Grant. But I, I wanted to do it though, because, you know, you have to remind yourself like that, comedy in Ireland like I'm not like Jason I'm not a Jason Brown I'm not a Dirty O'Kane I'm not a Tommy Tiernan and it's you know there's so few in those kind of positions I was like well you're not that person so you may as well just fucking go and be a kitchen porter yeah you were obviously felt like you deserve that's all you deserved was it well to be honest like I had been looking for a job for like an actual like you know employee job I would say for about a year, I'd had six interviews. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I think like I'm articulate enough. I'm, you know, presentable. I'm like, what's going wrong? So yeah, maybe I did think, and I had like, I had like the degree and all that kind of stuff. Like I'd done all that stuff. Sorry, hang on. What, tell me, what's the degree? I did a degree in business and arts management. Like, you know, after I left school or whatever. But yeah. I was like, you know, I'd had, it's not like I'd been doing like stand up, like messing around the whole time. I had had other jobs. Mm. So like you had I experience, you're in college, yeah. degree, all that kind of stuff. You're, I would say you're presentable. 
I would say you're articulate. There's no reason, why, there doesn't seem to be any reason why you would. Like, it, you know what? It got so bad, right, that I went for a job in my local pennies in Raffarnham. And I was like, Jesus, Emma, like, can you really go and get a job in pennies in Raffarnham? You're going to know so many people in there. It's basically going to be like a school reunion because so many people you know will come in and be like, hey, what are you up to? And I'm like, just doing this, just, just doing this, doing, doing a few little shitty videos online, just, just doing this, you know. <laughs> I went for the interview. And I thought it went really well and I was getting on really well with your one. They blanked me. Like they blanked me, pennies in my farm, which has since closed down, my dad. Do you mean like they ghosted you as in like they never just never got back to you or never got back to me? And yeah. I even rang because I I would be one of those people. Like I would ring and follow up with people. I was just like, oh, she's not in at the moment and da da da. Like I'm not even I'm not exaggerating that story for like comedy verses. That's what happened. So I think I was just tired. <laughs> I was tired so I was like ah have a rest so that was all going on before and then that and then and then you and then you got the and then you saw the f so you were working in the as a porter in the Dublin mountains in the coffee shop and then yeah doing stuff on fm 104 with the breakfast show and then the job came up and then you're like yes this is it this is great this, this is, is grand this yeah is, this is meant to be well yeah not, I was just like that that's perfect for me now because like I was doing you know, I had freelance stuff going on, but I suppose like, you know, if you're going to a bank or whatever, they don't really care that much about freelance stuff. So it was, it was purely like, it, it wasn't like, I don't want to like portray it as like, it was kind of coconut noodles all around or anything. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was more for like the optics of it for Mr. Bankman. I was like, okay, you know, shove it up your hole. I get it like a proper job and whatever. So, so were you thinking like mortgage or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. so it was, more, it was more from that kind of thing that I was like, right, I better get something because they don't, they don't like um, people in like entertainment, you know, inverted commas performers or whatever, because. Unless you bring in a big bag of cash, which. Yeah. Which the yeah. more famous entertainers might have. Yes. Mm. Yeah. If they were, I suppose it would be different if they were like, you know, aligned with a big organization or whatever. But um, yeah, so that was, that was the plan. So it worked out. I got a full-time job that wasn't like soul destroying, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, Cause I yeah. did, I did, I worked in um, a radio station years ago called Light FM, which, oh yeah, which became Q102 eventually. Okay. But when I was in Light FM, I was their copywriter. Oh yeah. Hmm. That was. And my where were you? Where were you based? Uh, they were out in Glenageary then. That was before they moved into the new offices and kind of joined forces with F. Before all that kind of thing happened, where they became part of a, a group. But uh, yeah, that was my first job in radio. It was my first paid job doing yeah. something that wasn't behind the bar. Was in um, was copywriting for for Light FM, which is now Q102. And how, how, like, what age were you then? Well, I was a late starter. So I was kind of, I, myself and my wife, Suzanne, had been traveling. We'd lived in London for a while. I generally just worked in pubs or hotels. 
Yeah. And then when I get back back to Dublin, everybody else seemed to be way ahead of me driving Land Rovers and buying four bedroom houses. And myself and Sam were living in a flat in Harris Cross and I was working a pub. But then I got a job through someone I knew and I'd started doing a bit of radio uh, and they, they needed a script writer. And I just went for it and I kind of bluffed it. But uh, that, nice. that, was my, that was my first job. So I would have been 20. So Anna wasn't. Anna wasn't born yet, so I was 28, 29. So I was old enough, like, you know. Yeah, but, I mean, you were still in your 20s. Yeah, but I've always been, <laughs> I've always been behind everybody a little bit, you know. Like, I still yeah, feel Yeah, like... I, I can relate, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. I would have, I would have felt that with friends, that I think probably because, like, I had my daughter Ella when I was 18, yeah, so tell me about that. So were, were you still in school? Were you in college or what? Um, yeah, I was in school. So I got, uh, I don't want uh, to, this might be triggering for you now. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me how you, I don't want to explain how I got pregnant. but No, no, I was in sixth year. So I got pregnant like just the summer before I went into sixth year. Yeah. And then I had my daughter in at the end of May. Oh, it might be triggering for me because I have a, a daughter in sixth year. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. No, it should be okay now. But you see, so. I, I kind of think, like, my sister would have, back in the day, in the 80s, got pregnant out of wedlock, you know, big scandal. But um, yeah, it's not really... I feel like, I mean, I would advise her that it's probably best to wait, you know. Yeah. That would be my advice. But, you know. Yeah. The dogs don't like you talking about the pregnancy. <laughs> um, the dogs don't like it. Um, so you were in yeah, so I, year. Uh, before you leave insert mid like middle of the year. Yeah, I I I, uh, I went into school the whole time, but I'd say kind of probably after Easter, I was like, oh, I'm gonna kind of. I think I just slowly kind of bowed out then, just off school. But I was still, you know, studying at home and stuff. But I think it just, um, I'd say the emotional toll of having to kind of go in because it's, you know, the way in sixth year, it's all about the future. It's all like, it's all really exciting. It's all like the devs, the sixth year holiday. Uh, our whole lives are ahead of us. Like, it's just, it's, it, it, there's such a buzz. And I think I probably just had to kind of bow out a little bit towards the end because I was like, I don't know if I have the strength now to keep keep it light and breezy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I think I have to conserve my energy. But um, yeah, that's what that's what happened. So I can understand the late start thing because I'd say definitely as I was going along, uh, like because I was this like a single parent, I would have any things that I would have done like career-wise or whatever for a long time would have been heavily influenced by my parental commitments. You know, so you kind of, and then you're obviously asking other people to kind of help you out. So say like even I would have done things like, I would have done a bit of um, production work on different things as like production assistant. But then you feel bad with that kind of work because it's so sporadic when you're starting out. And as well, the days are very long. So you're kind of asking somebody a favor 
to mind your daughter, which is fine. They're like, oh, what time do you need me at? And you're like, well, I kind of need you half five in the morning <laughs> till whatever time we finish at. Is that, you know? So, um, yeah, I totally get the late starter thing. I suppose some people might say, Jesus, she's an early starter. Like, what, what? But, um, <laughs> In some respects, you know, there's two different things. There's lots of things going on there. There's lots of ways of measuring these things. Um, yeah, true. But, but it's one thing that I would keep saying to my daughter uh, about sixth year and everything is they're really driven towards, uh, you know, this is the start. Of, if you, you know, it's almost like if you fuck this up, you're, you're going to fuck. You're, there is a sort of an unwritten. And actually, a lot of the time it's just verbalized. It's just said, if you if you fuck up this exam, you're kind of fucking up your life. You know, and I used to I didn't hear it so much, maybe a little bit when I was growing up, but like, if you don't get the college, you don't get the points, you'd be on the scrap heap. And there's all that pressure of like these exams. are, And the fucking truth of it is, just, this is not going to set you up for life. This is not some sort of magic pill that if you get the right points or the right things or the right, you know, you get the right, you know, get into the right college that you're, it's plain sailing from then on in. Cause then you just get the job and then it's cool. And then everything that's like about, you know, if even one fifth of your life, the job I know. The, the, the shit you're gonna have to do is it's nothing to do with points or school or college and you know I suppose what I'm trying to say to her is look you get you'll get to do what you want to do whatever way you get there like don't stress about it you know I mean look I don't want her to not stress at all yeah health, a healthy amount of stress you know but you must have had a bit of support and at home and like oh yeah like I, my parents were great like I was I have two older brothers and then there's kind of like a like five year gap and then there's me and um I was like I think most people I was quite worried about telling my parents and stuff and (laughs) (laughs) such do you know what though well like always with these things well it was really bad timing because my grandma my dad's mother was dying at the time and he was very close to her like he would have visited her every day so she was dying and so he was in the, the midst of that and so it was re- I thought it was just like this is the worst timing ever and like she would have you know she would have been a huge part of our lives as well but the first thing he said about it was um or the first thing I heard him say anyway <laughs> said it stuff. first thing he said to your face yeah no I, I heard him he was on the phone to my mom and he said uh, oh well I quite like the idea of being a granda mm. and I just I, I have to admit like I did melt a bit and then it was uh, strange I'm sure everyone experiences this when they have children but um it was the first grandchild in the family. Now, I know it's like, yeah, obviously, but I do have cousins who are a lot older. So it was the first grandchild. But like, even like, say, my auntie and uncle, how excited they were to meet Ella when she was born. And I was just like, they're into babies. And then another part of my friend's like, of course they're into babies, Emma. They have five kids. You know, like, I'd never seen these aunties and uncles and whatever interact with a baby and how excited they would be about like a new family member. Um, so yeah like they were really like my parents and extended family and everyone was really supportive and like my granny you know the way like you'd be worrying about the grannies like what well, she's what the granny's gonna say <laughs> my mom's mom 
I think she worked it out in her head that I I was an innocent party that must have been kind of taken advantage of or whatever. And that kind of worked for her in her brain. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Not like taking advantage of, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It was kind of, um, what's that Yours, novel were you just uh, on a, trail or something? It was that kind of thing, you know? Were you just an innocent party? Like just God love, yeah. God love her. She needs all the support and help. God love her. She doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Were you she, the, she was a big fan of mine. So, you know, I, I think um, it would she, need, she, she needs to square it in her own head. And that's how she. Yeah. 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 That's how she that's how she figured it out. So we were still best of friends. And I used to go and visit her all the time. Like when she was alive, I used to go and visit her all the time with Ella. Um go around her for like cups of tea and all that. So every like everybody. The old people, the aunties, uncles, everybody. My brothers were like besotted, you know. But you don't know that you don't know that that's what's gonna happen at the time. Yeah, of course, yeah. You think like, oh fuck, everyone. But you, you forget that all those older people in your life being there don't know, you know, wore the t-shirt and all that, you know. Um, so yeah, no, they they were they were great. My family were great now, I have to say. So are you so you're still are you are you in your thirties yet? Your thirties? Of course I'm in my thirties. You're like, what age would I say she is? No, I'm thirty-six. I was listening to your podcast uh, and you were talking with Shane Ritchie and like he'd be, oh, the, yeah. he'd be the type of guy that would go, oh, and is this your sister? And it's like, or, no, that's my mother. You know, he'd be that kind of guy. So I was trying to do yeah. that kind of thing. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you feel like, uh, do you still feel like you're catching up? Do you feel like you're getting there? Do you feel like things are happening? Do you, um, feel, you know? No, I, do you know what? Now I don't care about stuff like that at all. I, I really, I'm... Uh, you're just doing my what you're doing yeah exactly and my natural disposition would be I would be uh, I would just concentrate on what I'm doing that I just I've I've always like kind of been like that I've never really um not, not that I've been jealous of people are you know green-eyed monster of course but like everyone has a different route and you know I I, t- I just I wouldn't, me- I don't measure things like that, really. And uh, no, it's, it's, it's not my, it's not the way my brain would work at all. Like, for some, like, for lots of my friends, peers, whatever, it'd be important to get married. But I've absolutely no interest in getting married whatsoever. And people kind of, some people think that's a, like a little bit odd, but I'm just like, no, I just I don't feel like I need to I don't know and I'm not saying that's why people get married of course they don't people get married you know because you you're saying you hate people who get married <laughs> no but I'm just saying I don't have a checklist of things that need to be done at all um but in the in the comedy world because I'm not really part of like the world of stand-up or you know yeah writing stuff for t- writing st- stuff for tv or as, yeah. m- as much uh is there is there a goal is there or is it just see what happens kind of like is there do you ever feel like oh i used to think like that i was an outsider and i'd never get into rt because that was only for people who knew other people and uh, you know yeah. you, you you long so much to get in somewhere to be part of something and then you get there and you're like 
oh my god this is this is weird now i did kind of get used to it or it's just the way it works it's it is definitely a different yeah vibe to commercial radio or or any fucking commercial business it's okay. not like that they don't think like that they think differently yeah uh, and you do get used to it but initially it was like do you become do you become institutionalized i think you could do um and i think that you end up yeah. belie- like i believed that this was the be all and end all like when the breakfast show this finished, is the end goal kind of yeah or like I mean, I was very lucky to get that gig to present the breakfast show on 2FM on the national radio station because not everybody gets to do it and not many, like a very small percentage of people will ever get to do that job. Yeah. So I felt very privileged and I felt like, oh, I, I want to fucking make this work and I want to do a good job. And I put a lot of effort into a lot of, but it took, like it takes over your life. You're like, this is everything, you know, this is more important than anything else. Um, And so in that way you become, you know, it's almost like when you go to RT, it's like they don't give a fuck whether you fail or whether you succeed. They, You fail or succeed, whatever. They'll just get someone else in. Like, it's not up to them. They've given you the job. Here's the money. Now fucking go and do whatever you do. And you either succeed or you fail. And it's totally up to you or down to you. And that includes failing or succeeding while maybe arguing with people who are in RT. Do, do you know what I mean? You have to almost fight them to succeed. Yeah. Like it, they don't make it easy. Okay. And they, you have to prove yourself and you have to be good, but they're not really going to help you. Uh, it's kind of like, I remember Bernard saying to me, it's like, he turned around to me and said, keep, and, and that was, he wasn't in any way comparing himself to like a footballer in Barcelona, but he's going like, they've just brought us in to do a job. We just have to fucking do the job. Like you're a striker to score the goal. Yeah. Stop fucking whinging about it and looking for someone to help you with your training like do your training and score the goals okay that's what you get paid for do you know what i mean and for me i was like oh okay yeah. okay so there's nobody gonna hold my hand here i just have to either i fail or i succeed um and i think we kind of turned we did turn it around after about a year we kind of we got going and uh, it did kind of work out in the end yeah. but we had some, we had a good few years out of it but i don't think you become institutionalized but i definitely felt a shock when it finished and I was like, I, I felt desperate. I felt like, I was like, fuck. And I was still in RTE, so I was working weekends and I was I was meeting all these people in RTE and I was going, give me another show, give me a thing, give me a, give me something. Come on, man, yeah. give me something. Give me a, give me a gig, dude. I'll be stopping Joe Duffy. He's like, Joe, give me a gig, man. I'm like sitting in the halls of RTE panhandling with a, with a, a rogue over me going, please, sir, please. Really desperate, like thinking that I, I have to get something else here. You know, this is all there is and all I have. And it took me a while and yeah. a lot, of, a lot of therapy to go. Oh, hang on a second. I could probably just, I could probably just leave here and do. And I suppose similar to something that you figured out a little bit. What I now have is a few side hustles that make yeah. up, make up the money I was making or whatever. You know that, and 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 I'm yeah. happy and I'm happier because I just work for myself now. But it's, yeah, it's not that you become institutionalized, but you, be, you, and there definitely were people in there that were institutionalized, but you definitely become like, I did over five years, six, seven years that, fuck, this is, I can't fuck this up. And now I have fucked it up and now I have to get it back. Yeah. And no one's helping me and no one wants, and, and people are shunning you almost, you know? It's like when you went for the job and pennies, no one would return my calls. And I, but I was talking, I was, I knocked on every door in RTE and there was nothing there, you know? And it's a, yeah, it's a weird thing. It's like, it's the thing I keep saying, like 
when you get to the top of the ladder and then realize it was up against the wrong wall. Fuck. Uh, you know, but but the best thing I did was was t- taking the decision to go, well, let's just finish up. I'm not doing the weekend show anymore because it was almost dragging me. It was like sucking me back in. Every time I went in there, I was like, I needed to just go and get out my life. Okay. Even being around Orchie it was was a reminder of the fact that they didn't want me there. Okay. <laughs> but they would be, no, but would they? You just felt that, but like yeah, contractually, yeah. they could have they could have said your time's up though. They, they didn't need to. Keep yeah. It on for- no, but the, it w- it would have petered out, or it was like it's kind of like uh, let's put Keith out there, and then he'll just put him out. He'll go away eventually. He'll get tired of this. We don't don't give him any okay. don't give him any reason to want to stay here. You know, and and maybe maybe a lot of this is, is in my head, but that's how I felt, and I think sometimes. If your gut's telling you something, you should listen to it, you know. Okay. That's not everybody's experience in RTE. Yeah. And maybe that's why I didn't last there, or maybe that's, but I, I mean, I still had seven years there, so that's fine, you know. That's, but you that's, see, I think I mean, it's a cer- it's certain type of person who will, and I'm not even just talking about like kind of um, like, stars or whatever but there's certain types of people that will be happy to get into an organization and just get in there and get their feet under the table because the reason why I was kind of asking oh you know did you feel like you could have become institutionalized or whatever my dad actually worked in RT for years but he he left when I was 14 so he left just before I could kind of like use all his contacts but he worked in there at um, like employee relations so it would have been industrial relations back in the day and uh, when he was leaving and we had the big he had the big like going away do in RT and all that and I, I used to love going into RT the odd time with him and like going down to the set in Fair City and because I remember somebody in RT said to me oh do you think like you're interested in all this stuff because you're or they, they didn't ask me they kind of like stated because their dad had worked in RT and they're like, oh, this is why we're interested in all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, Jesus, maybe it is. Because you get the old shout out on the den sometimes and you'd be the big celeb and like senior infants the next day or whatever. But um, he left and uh, the women in the canteen who were like doing the catering when they were doing the leave and do, they were saying to my mom, like, oh, Jesus, he must be heading off for loads of money because he was leaving Orchie. Yeah. But he wasn't getting more money. He was just like, I've had, like, I'm, it's time to go on to something new. And lots of people he worked with would have thought that he was crazy. Like, why, why would you ever leave RTE? And he's just like, no, nah, something new, something new now. And then he um, went back then, I'd say about, I don't know, 10, oh, probably 15 years ago, he went back and he became a barrister. So he did his year of like deviling and now he's a barrister. Wow. But you see, he probably, that's what he always wanted to do. But obviously you need a bit of moolah to be able to do that because you can't, you know, and he wouldn't have had that when he was younger. So I think he probably, you know, maybe it's just that thing of maybe you just wanted to always be out on your own as well. So you're just like, you know what, I'm not hanging around. So, you know, see you later. And and I, I, s- mindset. several people said to me, 
and several people, like if I said their names, you'd know that you'd, you'd recognize their names would have come up to me and sort of, you know, cornered me and said, just, just hang around, just, just stay around, you know, things, you know, I've lost jobs and then I've lost, you know, even like, uh, I remember, uh, Larry Gogan, God rest him, such a nice man. And he would have like, his advice would to me, he said, Keith, look, I was on weekdays, then I was on weekends, then they changed the bosses and then I'd be back on and then I'd be in favor and then I'd be out of favor. And I was like, and I was really grateful for that advice, but that terrified the shit out of me at the same time. I was like, I, no, I, I don't want that. I don't want that roller coaster. Somebody has deciding whether I'm good enough uh, for that. Yeah. Like they're deciding whether what, where you need to be. Um, which is perfectly understandable, but that's maybe a young man's game or a young person's game. But I was at that age. I was like, well, Jesus, I can't be just, you know, at the waiting. Uh, to see yeah, the mercy that can yeah. come. I mean, if I'm in vogue or not with whoever it may be who makes the decision. Yeah, you can't live your life like that. And lots of people do, and I think it affects them. Yeah, but that would definitely skew your... But um, then you get people that just come in and sort of do a gig... And I think that that's a better way of approaching RT is if you, if you, if you hold some of the cards. So I felt yeah. very, I felt very grateful to RT. Like I owed them, like they did me a favor by giving me this job. Yeah, you know? Okay. What you need to be doing going into RT is that I have X, Y, and Z. I've got my sketches that I do online. I've got the script that I'm writing. I've got the thing. And I'll come in here and do a thing for you. I'll do a series. I'll do a bit. And then I'll go back to my thing. But I have the, like if you're coming in now you need to be you know it's like well have your instagram profile and know that you could just make money out of that if you wanted to and you don't need yeah, this job yeah. you know but it's just changing you know and then as i said like yeah it's just it's just a matter of how, how you approach it but uh, enough about me <laughs> i love getting all the gas <laughs> i'm just trying to think is there any other gas but but that's like i mean i don't think that that's nothing i wouldn't say to anybody um but yeah, definitely the sense that it's an odd, it's an odd enough place. And I did look at, I, and I do look at people in there that I would have gotten to know quite well and they'd be very successful and I would pity them. And that might Could be- you know, like the machine that they're in or? Just because I, I wouldn't want their life. I would not want their life. And yeah. I just, and it's easy for me to say, and maybe if someone rang me tomorrow and said, do you want to do like, you know, do you want- you want Ryan Tuberty's job you know I know of course maybe I'd have to I'd, I'd go look am I to destroy that podcast I'm sorry <laughs> but uh but I'd I, I would de- like because my my therapist said to me what if you what if you got a job in RT if they offered a job back and yeah, I said yeah. I said I'd take it but I'd have to come and see you every second day or every, every once a week or whatever you know yeah. but I do look at some people in there who've been in there for a long time like straight yeah. in there from being teen a teenager almost and still there and very successful and I would absolutely hate their life yeah I know and, what you mean but that's not maybe they love their life but it looks like hell what was it did you enjoy it when you were in there um I enjoyed t- moments there was there was definitely good moments uh, I yeah. enjoyed points I, I much like to compare my life now like I'm, I really enjoy my life now. Like I, I'm yeah. s- very content. I just do whatever. 
there was moments that I enjoyed rather than like I used to get up every morning and, and, and I look back now and I realize how much stress I was under. Okay. And I would describe getting up in the morning. If someone asked me, what's it like getting up at that time? It's like a fucking heart attack every morning. <laughs> it's like someone is jump starting your body to get you, you know, it was absolutely horrific, you know, and I've tried what to time, say, what time would you, would you have gotten up at? Well, initially Five. I was getting up like half four at, at the start. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And then I was getting up at five and then it kind of got later and then I, we were coming in and then I was starting at seven. So I'd get up about half five, get in for six, be ready for seven kind of. But, you know, mm. as time went on, you, you just got it. You'd everything. You, you got better at the job. So things were set up so you could come in a little bit later. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, no, it was, it was very stressful, you know, um, but. High pressure, though, I would imagine. Yeah. Because the breakfast show is. It's. The flagship show, isn't it really? It's like, yeah, but if like, that's not working out, no one's happy. But I don't, I'd look at Jim Jim now on, on 104 and I, I feel like he must have it worked out. He's got it sussed. Like he knows how it works. He's got, he's got it all figured out, you know, because he. Yeah. You know, he's, but to me, yeah, he seems like he's, yeah, to me, he seems like he's got it all figured out. He's very relaxed any stuff that I do with him it's it's very relaxed like I remember even like the first like this is like a good few years ago now I had honestly I think it was like this sounds so like fuck off I'm a hippie dippy but that week right I'd been I'd literally just said Shane I was like God, I'd love like a little, you know, little spot like on a radio show or something like something like that. I was like, that'd be nice. Jim Jim texts me that week. He's like, do you want to come in? And I was like, oh my God. I was like, that's insane. So go into him. And uh, we're doing sketches. But like, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything written on paper. I think it's just like, see how it goes or whatever. I was like, oh, but he's just so relaxed. He's like, yeah, just do whatever. And He's very oh. relaxed, but he's obviously really comfortable in the job he's doing, you know. He's got it figured out. Yeah. Um, so. How to do it, how to do it properly. But what were you doing that he saw you, that he wanted you to come in and do sketches with him? What would he have seen at that time? Um, I don't mean Like, I would have still been, like, uh, trying up a few videos and stuff, but... Oh, or um, what? What kind of stuff? Like, sketches. I, I used to do uh, sketches where I would just... I talk into the camera and I did like makeup tutorials and I had like a girl on a little checkout and stuff and like very simple setups. And then I think I was in there um, an interview. I think it was one of the festivals or something. So, you know, oh, will you go in and do an interview talking about the comedy tent or whatever? So something like that. And I think it was just... <laughs> I think it was because they were like, oh, so, you know, what's next for you, Emma? What's coming up? And I was like, absolutely, fuck all. Like, just have to go and get milk and bread after this. Like, that's it. I think just like, she seems really honest because I just can't do that thing of like, ooh, something exciting coming when it's not, you know? <laughs> so what was, so what, when did you start doing the comedy then? And that was that? The stand-up? Yeah. I started doing the stand-up um, I had had, uh, I'd had uh, Joe. Joe was like six weeks old, 
and I went and he's seven now and I went and did stand up so basically before that I had kind of like I had taken this like really long kind of windy road to kind of try and do something like creative or in perform like performing or something always wanted to do that but I just thought like I would never really admit it to anybody that that's I, I really I wanted to be an actor that's what I wanted to do I wanted to be an actress and I never really wanted to tell anybody and then like kind of getting pregnant in sixth year like you're definitely not going to mention it then you know like oh, I'm pregnant and by the way I want to be an actress <laughs> like get a grip I wanted to so talk like, to your careers teacher while <laughs> pregnant saying okay so the plan is Hollywood baby I know so I was like right I'll do something with business in it that'll be fine and then gradually I just kind of start edging my way into performing stuff and I had wrangled myself an audition in RT for this prank show it was only a pilot you remember when they used to do like one-off shows around Christmas time to try out ideas yeah and I had done a couple of sketches with a friend. So this is like, this is way back. This is like uh, seven, eight years ago that this, I started sketches. Is, so this was, so this is after Jennifer would have been doing the prank, whatever. Yeah, no, it wasn't, show. it wasn't the fear. I don't know what it was, but this is about seven or eight years ago. No, I tell you, it was eight eight years ago. I started doing a few sketches, but I was actually, I was pregnant when I started doing them. But basically what it was, was Ella was now 10. So I kind of like had been a single mother. Then I'd met Shane. We had settled down. I was now pregnant. And I was like, Jesus, like that 10 years went by so fast. And I haven't really done anything solid to try and get this performing thing off the ground like I'd, I'd done like little courses and I'd gotten a job in a community radio station like you know I'd done production work I'd done all this kind of shite and um, anyway I did these sketches and then this fella saw them in RT and he called me in for an audition and I was so excited I was like oh my god I fucking made it and I got to go in with my mate Laura and Isabel who would film the sketches and we were just like this is for, like we filmed a few sketches and we're in Orchina now in reception waiting to do our audition. So easy. So easy. So Why did we do this years ago? I know. It was just like fucking hell. So I went in and I got the part or whatever. It was only just like a little part in this thing. But like I was, I think I was about like six months pregnant. And I was kind of like, yeah, I'm well pregnant. So the day that they were filming was like the day I was due to give birth to Joe. And I was like, no, but I, I can, st- honestly, I can still do it. I was like, I'll probably, I'll probably like go early or go late. It'll be, I've done this before. I did my leave search the last time. I was like, I can do this. I can do a few hours on filming. This be fine. So they kind of go, they basically blanked me because they're just like, we can't use this woman. So then it was after that, I started doing stand up. Because I got in the tape, I was like, "This is, this is in reach." Mm. Oh, obviously, you like, felt you obviously felt like, well, I got something out of making those. Yeah, I, I got to going. Yeah. So he was kind of he kind of said to me, "Oh, like you should give um, stand up a go," and I was like, "Yeah, I think I will." And I didn't really know anything about stand up. I thought it was like Jerry those clips in American clubs. Was like, "Woo!" And, <laughs> real hardcore that's what I thought it was going to be and I was I actually looked up this place and it's called Battle of the Axe open mic night and I was like ooh <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> that sounds cutthroat. I thought it was going to be like that kind of thing. And I signed up for it and me and Shane went the week before to have a lot, like scope it out. And I was like, oh, I think it would be grand. Do you know, because it was a mixed bag of mm-hmm. like uh, talent and nerves and whatever. So I was like, oh, that's grand. So that's when I that's when I started doing stand up. It's only because somebody <laughs> somebody in RGE told me I should. I was like, yeah, not a bad idea actually. But I I honestly thought that stand up would be, I didn't know anything about it or whatever or how it worked. But I I thought it would be a good way to meet like a creative people mm. and like. I just thought it'd be great to meet people. And I had these visions of like kind of sitting in the back of comedy clubs, smoking rowdies, writing sketches, you know, <laughs> what I thought it would be. Wearing like a, like a, like a, like a jazz club kind of like. A, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, like that's what a, I thought it was. Yeah. Polo neck jumpers and. Yeah. Mm. Can can dancers. And I don't know. I just thought. <laughs> we're just being drawn you're being drawn into the world yeah I thought, it'd be like an, world. You know, I thought it was basically what I thought it would be is like you know I'm back to the future three in the bar in the wild west that's what I kind of but like an eight like an 80 slant but that <laughs> but it wasn't but I, I it's not like I went into stand-up going oh like what you were saying like what's what's the goal what's the I, it's not like I had a big thing of like I want to sell out a five nights in Vicar Street or I really didn't it wasn't anything like that at all because I didn't even know how it worked I was just like I think it this will be I just had a feeling I was like oh this will be good that's what I thought so you're seven so seven years doing comedy uh yeah so I think Joe was seven now so um sort of after around that time I did I did it in the August I did my first gig can you tell me um there was a there was a lot of stuff on on social media about oh, yeah. women in comedy yeah uh and, and especially in irish comedy circles and certain gigs that were set up and being run by certain people and yeah people not getting chances or and and also some people being uh abusive uh towards yeah. and and you abusing their power mm-hmm. i don't i wasn't really when I say it, it's probably a little bit longer. Was it last year? Maybe it was last year. It, it was kind of been going on over the last few years. Yeah. Uh, and I was kind of interested. I was kind of aware of it and tuned into mm. it, but not really. Like, were you, was that something that you were, were you involved in sort of going, we need to get rid of certain people from this scene. And so, so we can fucking, you know, there's a bad element to this scene. Like, were you part of a kind of a, were you involved in any way or were you no not at all because well no when I see when I when I started I had just had a baby so when I went and did gigs I um did my spot and I went home and a lot of people would there's a whole other scene like I would like I don't want to sound like a loner but I would now have like friends in comedy but it would be very limited there would only maybe be one or two that I would ring them without any notice and just like meet up with them or you know that it would kind of be like proper mates or whatever and um so I didn't really know like I knew I got on with all the comedians I gigged with and whatever 
but I wasn't part of the social scene of it. So I was just like go, kind of going to gigs and going home. There was definitely a few people when you ask them for gigs, there's just kind of like this long drawn out conversation. And there was somebody in particular who, anytime somebody friended you on Facebook, he was always a mutual friend. And I'd heard from lots of women outside of comedy, the same story after they'd gone to a gig then he'd friended them on Facebook and then would start a conversation with them and like pictures and stuff like that. But like, you know, two consenting adults, but there was definitely like creepy stories there. But he was he was gone then from his position. And um, I'm trying to think now, there is a few of them. There was one recently enough who... I had no, nobody would have had any idea about this person and they would, they would have been your classic like hiding in plain sight person in the sense of they would have kind of championed um, equality and women's rights and. Um, he was a feminist. He was. He was a total feminist. Yeah. Um, I, he did not like me <laughs> at all. Um but when I heard about him, I was like, fucking hell. And he was kind of, he was part of a kind of, um, a, like a write-on kind of group. Because he didn't really book me for his gig. And I was just like, oh, does he think I'm not like fucking woke or something? Like, you know what I mean? Um, so he's gone as well. Who else is there? There's a lot of people. What is it? But I see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in... I, I don't think I'd be in a position in terms of that scene as being um, vulnerable or whatever, because like, you know, there was a good few years, like I just had Joe and then I was pregnant again with Tommy. So I was definitely like year one with the kids, the L one. And <laughs> I don't think I just, I'm kind of, I definitely have like a resting bitch face and would be, you know, don't very fuck, don't fuck with me first. Yeah, I was. I'm thankfully I'm blessed with one of those, but I would have always have made sure if I was at a gig and there was a like female comedian who I hadn't met yet or whatever. Um, I'd always make sure to kind of say hello and kind of find out her story and see how she was getting on or whatever. But you see, the the other reality of it is that a lot of the time when you go to a gig, you are the only female on the bill. So a lot of it, you, you don't even know that it's happening because there's like female comedians I know now and I've, I've yet to gig with them. Mm. Haven't actually met them in person, but you would be like messaging and like keeping in touch or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's an odd one. It not, I suppose it's that thing of people with kind of little bits of power in yeah, very niche yeah. areas just like abusing it and unfortunately that's what seems to happen it's like it's the it's power about, really. yeah and every industry every the music industry attracts them you know and every industry attracts them you know but um yeah, yeah and it just seems i suppose like you probably just seem to stay out of whatever yeah i just think i, I probably I wasn't really in the social scene. Like I go to things like, I go to like the Vodafone launch and that would be like my comedy Christmas. And I kind of go out and be like, Whoa! 
but I wasn't like I wasn't hanging around at gigs on a Tuesday night to have pints. Like mm. I drove into all my gigs, you know, going home to like take the uniforms out of the tumble dryer or whatever. So I wasn't, I wasn't in that that scene at all. But um, it is, it's a weird little scene actually. <laughs> from what I've heard but it's interesting that maybe what you felt at the time might be uh, holding you back from really enjoying being a you know a comic if you had to leave early and go home maybe you didn't mind but you know probably kind of you know probably probably the best thing to do in hindsight you know yeah well I I always took it as um, like a mate of mine Grania who now she hasn't done stand up in a while but she'd be real like she'd go into clubs when she wasn't gigging to like chat to the promoter and kind of like you know keep the visibility or whatever and I was like I was like if they want to book me they'll book me you know what I mean I was like fuck that I just didn't get into all of that I'm just not no time management baby I'm not going you don't have the time you've you've got seven kilometers to travel on your scooter in the morning don't have the time yeah don't have the time oh my god and uh so are you so can you are you allowed to talk about what you did on what you did this week filming or is that... i don't know if i can okay that's I, cool. I know i actually don't know because i was trying to suss that out. i was trying to see did anyone else uh talk about it or whatever i was, was... like i don't see anyone i don't see anyone talking about it okay so there was like, other so was... You're, you're filming with other people and not, no one said anything. Yeah, because do you know what actually what happened? So I know I've like a minuscule part in, in a big thing. So it was mm. like exciting just to kind of be around it and in it like really exciting. And um, I find out that a fella I know is in it. So this fella, I haven't seen him in about, I don't know, 15 years, probably about 15 years. And I just thought it was really, really gasp because the two of us were on a CE scheme in a community radio station. So he was on the Dole and I was, I got in on it because I was a lone parent. And I just thought it was, I just thought it was gas that the two of us were doing, were like the next time we saw each other was on this thing. I thought it was like, wow, full circle. I was like, how are you getting on? You know what I mean? Because um, have you ever worked? I'm sure you've worked in a you probably You probably bypassed the community radio station. No, no. I worked for a year and a half on Near FM in Kulak. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, that's where I got my big break. We did a show, myself and my friend Joe, every Thursday uh, called The Thursday Show. Nice. For an hour. How did you get in there? What age is when you were in there? Well, we were, that was like, it was around that time I got the job with Light FM. So I was just home from traveling and trying to figure out my life. But uh, Joe was working with RTE on, he was doing work experience and he was out filming in a community radio station. And he saw a notice on the notice board that they run these six week radio courses and anybody, you can do it's free. So we signed up, he signed me up. We went out every Thursday night or whatever on two buses out to Kulak did our course and then at the end of six weeks part of the course you submit your hour of radio if you could do an hour of radio on near fm what would it be so we put together an hour of radios comedy sketches and whatever and uh and they gave us an hour so we we for the next year and a half we did 
the show on Thursday nights called the Thursday show. And it was like comedy sketches, like radio soaps, comedy characters. And uh, yeah, yeah, just totally like cut her teeth and learned. Because I think when you guys were on spin as well, weren't you? Yeah. So we went from there to Phantom. We were only on Phantom as uh, illegal Phantom for about six months. And then spin started and we got a job doing the Saturday show on spin. It was a comedy and music show. We did comedy bits, comedy characters, sketches. And we did that for, I don't know, another year anyway, maybe more. And then they offered us the breakfast show. No. So, you know, the way we met there a few weeks ago, Mm. we were chatting and everything. And then I came away from it. I was like, I was trying to like piece things together. (laughs) So when we were filming the ad, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Filmed the ad, right? Did you used to do it? Was it Air Fingless? Air Fingless, yes. Because this started to make sense. So now I was never, I was never like um, loyal to any like radio station ever at all. But I remember listening to these Air Fingless sketches <laughs> and I thought they were brilliant. And you know what I did? But I'm trying to think what age I was. I must have been fairly young. I wrote a sketch and sent it in. Did Isn't you? that crazy? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that, I don't want to say mad, but you know, like that is crazy. I wonder, you see now, if you, if you were talking to Joe about this, he'd probably remember and he'd go, oh, yeah, I have that. He'd find it. He'd have it filed away somewhere. He'd go, oh, yeah, I have God, that sketch. No, or... I wouldn't want to see it because even, no, I wouldn't want to see but it. I, even... that, that would be something that if we got, we would have enjoyed. And I'm, I would be surprised. Like we did, obviously, I presume we didn't read it out or anything. Did we not? Or? No, no, I, don't, I didn't. I didn't hear anything about it or anything oh, like that. Oh, sorry. About no, that. but maybe it was. I think it was some. Uh, this is now. This could be total bullshit. This could be like a dream I have. But I have this feeling that it was like, like um, I had a sketch idea for like a beauty salon or something. So it wasn't like a kind of a ne- like the next episode of Air Fingers. But I think I heard. Maybe it was you or Joe say something about it and just something triggered in my brain. I was like, oh, I always trying to fucking get in somewhere. That's brilliant. I love that your radar was always on. The radar was always on. Always. Always on. Send in sketch. That's brilliant yeah. though. Jeez, I used to like I used to watch TV shows and I'd look at the credits to see who made it and how how it got put together. And my friends were talking about like shows made by Orchie. And I was like, they weren't made by Orchie. It's like made by the production company. Production company. <laughs> it's a facts fucking straight. I have their number here. Yeah, I'll that. I, I was onto them this morning. Yeah. I'm, wow. I'm surprised you remember Air Fingless. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. inspired by, uh, there used to be a soap called Harbour Hotel um, on Irish radio when I was growing up. And I loved the idea because it was Ireland's longest running soap, but Harbour Hotel finished up. Uh, okay. and so I decided to like Harbour Hotel was a hotel set down the country somewhere, you know, I think it was. Yeah, it could have been done. But I decided to set my soap in an airline in Finglas, you know, so it's like, yeah. it's, but it's, it's running out the back of a house in Finglas and there's only four people working there. Um, and then when Harbour Hotel finished up, Air Finglas became Ireland's longest running soap. <laughs> Because we did it every week, and uh, that was the best. The best part was that it's Ireland's longest running soap. Yeah. Would, would you know? Would you, Would you never do a podcast with Joe, or have you moved on? Um, maybe, yeah. Like, I mean, we've spoken about it. Uh, yeah. But to 
when I, you see, when I left, I was working with Joe on Phantom. Yeah. And I haven't really spoken about this much, but I left and I left it badly because I didn't tell Joe that I'd been talking to RTE. Okay. Yeah. Tricky situation though. Well, they, they approached me and I, the, the plan, I suppose, with myself and Joe was to work in Phantom for a little while and then start approaching other radio stations. This is, we'd gone back to Phantom. We were a little bit older. Right, and I'd, okay. and I'd, we'd left Spin and I'd gone off to work in another radio station. And then I'd come back and we started working in Phantom together. And then I got a job with RTE. And I didn't tell Joe because I wasn't sure I actually had the job really until I started. Yeah. But Joe found out from somebody else that I'd been offered the job and he was pissed off that I hadn't, I hadn't spoken to him and rightly so. Yeah, so yeah. that, so back then, then that ended all badly and we didn't really talk for a long time. Um, and we're, okay. only, we're only now kind of starting to talk and chat and do stuff together again. So look, you never know, but it's kind of up to him really in a way, because I'm, yeah. I, I feel like I was the, uh, I was the person who kind of fucked up the way I handled it. So, uh, but yeah, it's kind of like that thing when you're on when you see them on the X Factor. And it's two best friends, and Simon says, "I want to hear you on your own." And they see how, <laughs> but like I tell you, what you're saying, if somebody brings you into the into a room, a dark room with a golden ticket. But I only didn't tell Joe. I didn't tell Joe because I didn't want to. I was like, "Well, what if I have to keep doing the show with Joe?" And I wanted to do the show with Joe. I didn't even know I wanted to go to RT, but I couldn't turn it down because it was more money and it was RT. And like, yeah. how could you turn it down? Like, even if I didn't want to do it, I'd still have to do it. But I think, it, I think it was just the fact that I didn't say to him at some point that I, I he probably, he would say, well, you should have trusted me that I would have handled it properly and would have been able to handle it. Um, so I didn't. And uh, I, so, so I kind of messed up, but, but, and, and I took the job as well. But uh, so, yeah, so look, we'll, see what happens but it's totally totally his call um but yeah tricky that's tricky though if you're kind of uh you know in a professional partnership and one of them gets the big call from the gods above obviously the person has to take it. that's what's going to happen yeah like, and i don't know, that's going to happen but yeah, and I don't think Joe would, would argue with that, but I think it's just the way I handled it was bad and possibly disrespectful, maybe you know, to a friendship that you know we've been friends for a long time. Um, but I just didn't know how to handle. It. I didn't have the wherewithal. Like now, as a person, yeah. you know, I, I keep saying with therapy or whatever. But now, as a person, I would totally know how to handle that situation. But I just yeah. didn't have the maturity. I didn't have the wherewithal. I didn't. I, I was emotionally stunted, I, you know, so I just didn't, it's not an excuse. That's just the way it was. So, um, yeah. you know, and I totally get, get where he was coming from at the time. And I'm not saying that he got, you know, it wasn't like he sort of snubbed me. It was just like, look, we just weren't friends. We just, that was, it was, we just couldn't be friends for a long time. You know, I mean, he just, he went on and, and did his own thing as well, you know, um, yeah. was happy and, got on with life and stuff but uh, it was yeah it was it was hard it was it was a, it was a tough tough situation but look at this isn't about me and I think I've taken up enough of your time <laughs> um so so anyway the point I was trying to make was it so so you you, you filmed you, you you're not going to say what it was but you filmed something you had a small part in a big thing and yeah and and, and that being asked to do that came as a result of the director uh seeing you doing uh, seeing your sketches 
Yeah. So you are. I mean, That's I know. Nice, you, you know? Yeah, but you're now now you're bona fide actor, and you know it's like Hollywood's come calling. But I, it's it's good because like I, I just like the story. It, it, there's a lot of similarities. I think uh, I feel a lot of similarities with with yourself with like with doing the copyright and the work community radio and yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Always sort of um, my radar would have been always up as well a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I just I thought I wanted to get you on just to to find out more about you and your story because I think it's it's just like a lot of these. Uh, I have conversation on the podcast with people who have had moments in their life or, you know, I just, I think that just your attitude is great. You know, I think you have a real good work ethic. I think you're, you're very smart, clever with working out. Well, how do I get to do this? I mean, the fact that you've got a full-time job being creative is testament to your, even though you worked up in the coffee shop up in, and that was a blip. But also, you know, I, when you were telling me that story, I was going, that's fucking material. That's a, when are you writing the, when are you writing that sitcom? Do you know what I mean? No, I, to be honest, I didn't, you see, that's the thing. I didn't mind doing that job. And, you know, it's, that's the whole thing. Like none, none of it matters. Mm. Absolutely none of it matters at all. It's completely whatever you want to do. Like, say, when you were talking about RG, now, er, early on, I don't know what it was. I'd say, like, early on, um, someone in RG saw sketches and they got me to meet up with, um, I think it was Chris Torduff. Oh, yeah. I yeah, never yeah. know his name, but he was writing on Republic Italia at the time. And somebody got me to meet up with him and write uh, sketches with him for Republic of Telly. And I remember him saying to me, so that's like this one, I'm like really fresh. I've, I've barely started stand up. And he said to me, oh, he said something about, he was talking about some sketches I have on YouTube. And he was like, oh, it's great. Like, you know, having that freedom to just, you know, do whatever you want to do in your sketch and just throw it up. He's like, you know, there's a great freedom in that. I was looking at him going, who is this fucking prick with a nice little job in RT? Like, great freedom with no fucking money, Chris. Do you want to fucking get scribbling there? Do you know what I mean? But looking back at it now, I don't really know what he was saying because obviously he was probably restricted in terms of, like, what he could do there or whatever. So anyway, wrote with Chris. That never happened. I don't know why that never happened. So I'm still on the thing. And I was like, you know, they get people in as, like, extras or whatever. Then another thing about writing a big sketch and everybody loved it. And then Eddie Doyle was like, we even filmed someone. And he's like, I don't think this is a good thing to be joking about. So that never happened because it was a joke about getting the morning after pill. So it was a big, it was a big sketch centered around that, like the, the panic of going around and bumping into people and all this crap. So that never happened. Then I did, I auditioned for Public Italy as the presenter thing then as well. I've done, I've done so many pilots. <laughs> it's fucking embarrassing. I've like all this shite, all this fucking shite. Never to mind all the, the shite I've pitched. I mean, fuck me, the amount of stuff. But then, <laughs> obviously, you don't have this epiphany if you're actually getting the stuff, you know. Yeah. Now I've decided, but. 
once I started focusing more on just what I wanted to do on my own thing and not trying to like get in with an organization or whatever, it actually, I was a lot happier and it was actually, it turned out more beneficial work-wise. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll just fucking do my own thing then. And I'm like, I think it's just a generational thing because we grew up with telly. You want you want to get stuff on or to like the, the telly. Disney or whatever. But it's just it doesn't have the same gravitas as it once did. Like even like I auditioned, <laughs> I was in another pilot recently of a panel show that's going to be on soon called Clear History. And then obviously nobody tells me, but I'm not on it. And all what like mates and comedy that I know are on it. I was like, how the fuck am I not on it? I was like, there's about three fucking female comedians in Ireland. How bad was I? I was like, what the fuck? But then I'm like, okay, totally now if they rang me tomorrow and they're like, Emma, so-and-so's got coronavirus. Can you knit down to film this final episode? I'd be like, yeah, no bother. But like, then you come away from it. And you're like, it, it's, you know, doing that kind of thing now isn't going to get you like the next big thing that it would have like 10 years ago or whatever. Like, yeah, nice thing to get deadly or whatever, but you probably get more out of the stuff you're doing yourself. Really? Like, totally. Don't get me wrong. If they no, found... I know. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, of course. I'm the same, you know, but like, you know, because you have to, but I think it's, I think that's what I was saying was my mindset would be different doing it and I would treat it differently and I would still want to do my own thing within that. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, you still have to try and do your own thing within that, you know? Um, and that's the trick is to still be yourself, not listen to the people that know better within the organization. Do you know what I mean? It's like everybody yeah, knows yeah. better. Everybody knows better, but look, it's your name over the door. So you've got to do your own thing. And that's, that's the difficulty. And, and, it's just yeah. a, it's a hard there thing. Was it's hard actually, there, there, there was a thing then, and I, at the time I felt really sketchy. Well, not sketchy, but at the time I felt really um, shitty about it. We had, um, myself and Jen Hatton had met up with a production company that you would know very well. Okay. <laughs> about a script, about doing a script together, like um, a, like a sitcom thing or whatever. And they were like really nice and really behind us. And like, we're going to like push this and, you know, um, do our best to get this made or whatever. But then when it came to it, I just felt like the idea was shit and that it was really like, go on out of that, you dope. It was all just a bit, get out of that garden, you. And I love a bit of that, but it was just too much of that for me. And I was like, I mean, why be so fucking... <laughs> like, I'm not a purist. Why be so fucking like, oh, no, like, I won't take that gig. But I pulled out of it. I was like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And then for ages after, I was like, maybe I just should have fucking taken, like, no, if it had gotten made, who knows? But they were in a good, they were in a good position, like more than probably a lot of production companies to get something made. But I just felt like it was shit. And I just, I was like, okay, imagine if that got made, so you, you'd make it, then you'd have to wait for it to come out. And then there'd be all the promo around it. Would you get through it? Would you get, you know, so... I probably should have fucking done it. <laughs> mm. Brendan O'Carroll seems to be able to manage it okay. 
But he's, he believes it. He wrote yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, he believes it. But, that, but look, you can't. It's very hard to do something that you don't. You're not 100 percent. And I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Brendan, in fairness to him. No, totally. Everyone totally. says he's like, absolutely the same thing. And I'm not having he, a, I'm not having oh, a I know. Like, he, he wrote, he wrote that, he was under no pressure to write that. You know, the way, like, obviously it started out as the play and everything. So that's completely his own. Yeah, he wrote and started on the Gareth O'Callaghan show and just kept doing what he was yeah, doing. Yeah, he How, kept how's your that. How's your snowballs? How's your wobbly bits? All that kind of stuff that was. Yeah. He's been yeah. doing that from the start. That's his brand, you know? Yeah. And and it works. But it, he's fine with it. But maybe you're, you were like, ah. look, you made the decision. Look, it's too late now, Emma. I don't, I've got I don't, them on the phone here. Yeah. Hang on a sec. No, she's not. She's not going to change her mind. Yeah, no, I had her on the I had her on the fucking thing for an hour and a half, and she's Sorry. still here, but she's not going to. No, I don't. This thing, I don't really, I don't really care to be honest. It's just you know the way you look back at things and go. Oh, yeah, fuck. maybe. Oh, sure. Look at the other thing was I went out to RT a good few years ago, and I did two bits that for with Sean Moncrief at two shows. One was called Exit Poll, and one was called Exit File, and I was playing this. I had this character on radio called Tony Divney, who was a terrible politician who wanted to fill in the canal to make more space for roads and cars and uh, get rid of nature and chop down trees and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was, so I got a, so I filmed bits for Sean Moncrief show, two of them, two separate times I went out. So, so they gave me two chances and both times I was in the room watching the show back because it was filmed and then put out half an hour later and we were in the room in, in RT all sitting around watching back and my bit never came up and twice it happened to me. And uh, I just slunk. slunk away into the night, you know. So that's that's, but that's life. And as you say, none of it matters. None of it matters. It doesn't. Uh, I won't keep you any longer because it's been an hour and a half. But uh, thanks yeah. for giving me your time, and I'm really enjoying. I don't even know what I said to you. To be honest, it's, don't, don't worry. I'm going to chop it. It's going to. It's only going to be a three minute podcast. Okay, um, grand. <laughs> So I don't think I said anything bad. But you know the way you kind of suddenly just walk away and like, geez, what, what did he even fucking say? Did I say anything interesting? I don't fucking know. It's going out now. I'm putting this is live, so it's too late. <laughs> uh, listen, thanks for your time and um, best of luck with everything. And sure, I'll see you the next time some beer brand needs a commercial made. I know. I call on the dream team. That is it. That is Emma Doran, comedian, um, and uh, I was going—I was going to say like one to watch, but she's probably already been watching her. And uh, yeah, she's great, great, um, great person to have a chat with. Really enjoyed that. And check out the podcast up to ninety and all her other things. Just Google Emma Doran; it'll all come up there. And uh, yeah, I think she's a bit of a she's a bit of a sneaky interviewer streak in her herself although I did I listened back to that I thought she's I talked a lot in that uh, I think I interrupted her a good bit so I apologize Emma uh, but also she asked me a few questions and I think she uh, she's obviously uh, she's uh, she's a born interviewer I had my guard down a little bit and I shared quite a lot but that's what it's all about you know what I mean too old to start caring too old no I'm too I'm old enough now to not care. Uh, I just try to be honest. And that's what the podcast is all about. Having real chats with real people about real things. And uh, she did message me just today, actually. And she said, uh, I don't mind if you don't want to share all that stuff. You said you could just you can just get rid of dump the podcast, she said, rather than just editing it. 
Uh, but I thought, no, no, no. It's uh, an honest chat about things. And she asked me the question and I answered honestly. And that's it. Don't edit. Just not because I'm lazy. Just because. <laughs> just don't edit. That's my rule. Uh, anyway, thank you very much. Uh, that's Can't Believe it's episode 29. And I will go now and put up episode 30. If you want to get in touch for any reason at all, please do. It's keithwalchpod at gmail.com. I'm Keith Wal- I'm the Ke- That's me. KeithWalchPod at gmail.com. And uh, you can send in anything. Requests. Not song. I don't know what kind of requests. Um, topic. Chat topic requests. You could send them in. Um, you could send in. Oh, if you want a shout out. Yeah. Give people shout outs. That's good. I could do more of that, actually. If you want a shout out, email me. KeithWalchPod at gmail.com. And uh, that's basically it. That's all you need to know. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Rate the podcast. Um, give us a f- I think I think th- at the moment, wherever you listen to your podcast, they only accept five-star ratings at the moment. I think the other stars are broken. So five-star uh, rating would be great. And uh, what else? Subscribe as well if you haven't subscribed. And take your friend's phone, or even someone you don't know, maybe someone you work with but you don't really know that well, take their phone when they're not looking and go into their podcast and just hit subscribe on my podcast. So do that every time you see somebody. And just keep doing it all the time. That'll be great. Thank you very much. I gotta go. Um, It's now 10 to 9 on Monday night. And I've got to get this other podcast up so I can go to bed. That's the crack. See ya. Have a good evening. Have a good rest of Monday. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. Of course you might be listening to this on Monday. Could be listening on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 